oh my Put me in coach, I'm ready to play fantasy I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today And smash play, I'm prepared to listen The x flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first He can say I'm ready to go <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, what it do? Win leaps Catch out Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast. We are continuing on our 30-team preview series with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, hit up Chicago Cubs last week. We're on to the American League in probably one of the more uh, one of the more interesting teams in all of baseball. Uh, a lot of split opinions on almost the entire starting lineup. Um, the pitching is has some weak spots, but the hitting is actually very interesting. So we are going to go through, uh, like we always do, through the lineup, through the rotation, bullpen, prospects, everything will tell you everything you need to know about the Chicago White Sox as far as fantasy goes. I am your host, Matt Williams. Joining me on the show is Mr. Corey Ott. What is up, dude? Not much, not much. Thanks for having me on, Matt. I'm excited to take a trip to the dark side. (laughs) So, um... The White Sox, uh, you know, they, they've been an up and down team and they slowly started this kind of weird rebuild when they cr- tr- uh, traded Chris Sale to get Michael Kopik to get uh, Jan Moncada. And it was just a kind of a slow burn where they're building all of all their young, uh, all their young players. They brought up Tim Anderson, who did well. They signed Jose Abreu. And now all of a sudden um, they're. They arrive at this year where they bring a Brayu. Uh, they have a Brayu. They sign. They bring in Grandal. They bring in Edwin Carnacion. They trade for Nomar Mazzara. They got Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert up. Yo Moncada is still there. Maybe Nick Magical. I mean, it's it's an exciting team. Um, what do you think of it as a whole before we dig in? Yeah, I mean, this seems kind of like the prime time for the Chicago White Sox. To, the Chicago White Sox to shine. Um, you know, we've been waiting, you know, years for this. Um, as soon as they acquired Moncada and he started to move up through the through the pipeline, um, Eloy Jimenez and then Luis Robert both kind of hopped on the scene. And now they have a very, very strong lineup. If these prospects in Robert and, and Jimenez um, and Moncada can, can maintain what they've been able to do um, throughout the minors and then turn that up a notch with the majors, um, the, the White Sox are going to be major contenders with the Twins in the NL central. Yeah. And if you're looking at this team, as far as the future goes, there's a couple of weak areas, at least as in, if you look at it in terms of long-term, Abreu's a little older. So is Grandal and Louis Garcia is not very good. Uh, they have all those spots kind of covered in the minors. Uh, they have, uh, they have uh, Zach Collins coming up. They have Andrew Vaughn coming. They have Nick Madrigal coming. So uh, they're lined up to be good for a pretty long time. If people come through. So starting at the top of that lineup is Tim Anderson, the batting champion. <laughs> um, probably, one of the worst batting champions in terms of true on base skills. Um, I don't think there's really any arguing that. Uh, what do you think of Tim Anderson? Because right now he is not really being shown the respect the batting champion uh, deserves. He batted 335, 18 home runs, 17 stolen bases. I hate to use BABIP as a traditional way to valuable player to value players. I think it's usually used in a kind of a lazy fashion. Like, all right, his BABIP was too high. He got lucky. His BABIP was too uh, low. He was unlucky. But in Nim Anderson's case, that's literally the case. He had a 399 BABIP that was pretty much fueled by luck. Not entirely, though. Um, he did improve overall. He had a lot more line drives. Um, he wasn't elevating the ball as much, you know, hitting balls into the outfield will, will sometimes lower your BABIP. He was just hitting, he was hitting the ball harder. Uh, he was doing little things, and he's also very fast. So he, he has the tools to hit a, for a little higher BABIP, but not 399. So. What do you think of of Tim Anderson? Uh, he, they, you know, what what do you? Th- he's definitely looks like he's a twenty twenty guy. So I think you can kind of put that in the bank. But where do we think he is in terms of batting average? Yeah, and you hit it right on the head. Um, you know, he's going to be the twenty twenty guy, the unique combination of of power and speed that everyone is searching for in in roto drafts, um, obviously. But as far as the average goes, I don't see that. 
being sustained, especially with that, you know, nearly 400 Babbitt, like you were talking about. Um, I just don't believe in the power as much either. I mean, he might hit 20 home runs again. Um, we'll, we'll see, but um, I don't believe in the BB, the OBP when he's walking less than 5% of the time. Um, he also has a 45% O swing. So that's extremely concerning. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you just, and a 13 and a half swinging strike rate. So, I mean, the dude, he got extremely lucky. Um, we can see that in the Babbitt this last season. Um, you know, having a 335 average across all major league plate appearances, like that's something that, that, you know, isn't so lucky because it's extremely hard to do that. Like 300 hitter is obviously considered, you know, almost a hall of fame hitter, um, over one's career. So the, the fact that Anderson was able to make these strides over one season is, you know, it looks really good on paper, but there's a lot pointing to, uh, you know, there's a lot of things pointing to his regression um, and the fact that he's going at pick 79. He's going ahead of Carlos Correa, Ahmed Rosario, Corey Seager, Jorge Polanco. Um, you know, I'm just I'm not going to buy it. And like, I understand buying the speed, um, you know, that early in the draft and getting your shortstop. But I think shortstop is so deep this year. You can definitely wait and get at least a replacement level player to an above replacement level player um, for Anderson. I actually am okay with taking him in front of all those guys you just mentioned. Um, I think his batting average is obviously coming down. I think he could be like a two. I think he's a 270 hitter. Uh, whether I think it'll regress all the way, I don't think so. Cause a lot of projections have him in the 275, 280 range. I think he did actually make some, some, some strides to become a better hitter that I think will allow him to live maybe even above that, maybe 285, um, maybe even get to 290. It's not out of the question for me, but even if he was 275, 2020, uh, he's not being given much respect at all right now. Um, so I think it comes down to min and max pick kind of a thing. If he's, you know, if, I'm not going to reach for him, but if he's not going to be giving respect, I'm very happy to have him as my shortstop. I think there is value in where he's going. But yeah, it's, it's Tim Anderson. I think the long term thing and dynasty for me is how long can he survive at the top of this lineup with Nick Madrigal, a guy who has no power, but. Um, gets he, he will he in the in the double A and triple A the minors he was near a 400 batting average he was really 390 to 400 in the majors it's probably not going to be that high <laughs> but he looks like a lock for maybe a 350 360 maybe higher type guy he never strikes out he literally he has more walks than strikeouts always like by a significant margin uh, he he's a guy who's going to get like a Luis Arias he's he's going to you know maybe compete for a batting title but he's going to get on base a ton. No one else in this lineup really gets on base. They're all strikeout machines. So, um, you know, from a dynasty perspective, which we're not talking about too much on the show, but uh, if you own Tim Anderson, would that be a worry? Because he wouldn't probably drop to the two hole. He could, but there's a maybe there's a chance he drops down to the five, six. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it definitely depends what all happens with Lurie Garcia and then Madrigal down in the system as well. Um, and yeah, and you you said it like, you have a bunch of power hitters that strike out a ton, you know, with the exception of Yasmani Grandal. Grandal, you know, he actually looks like he could be one of the better leadoff hitters. And you don't want that because he doesn't have any speed. Mm -hmm. um, but Madrigal is going to give you, uh, he's going to give you the elite OBP likely. We haven't seen him in the MLB yet, but, you know, he hasn't posted below a 388 OBP, I don't think, uh, over the last few years. And so the, bat, um, the, the hit skills and the plate discipline is going to, stay there for Madrigal, in my opinion, and he should overtake that leadoff spot in due time. Uh, he's going to have to earn it. So we'll see if that's a 2020 reality. Um, but yeah, Anderson, just with the concerns with the strikeouts. And I love Tim Anderson. I, I do, do too. Him. I do too. And for me, like, it's just a power, it's a, um, it's a price. It's a price point thing. And like, it, unfortunately said, for long-term um, Madrigal, I know I bring him up. That's not his only concern. Luis Roberts, in the lineup too. And he's supposed to be pretty good <laughs> and very fast, right. faster than Tim Anderson. So, I mean, he, there's a lot of things that aren't going to have Tim at the top of the lineup, but for now, he's definitely going to bat lead off this year. Um, I highly doubt Robert or magic will do anything to probably change that for 2020. So I don't know. I like him. You say it's a price thing for you. I I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the price. I'm just not reaching for him. Uh, batting second in this lineup is Jan Moncada. I love Jan Moncada for anyone who doesn't follow me on Twitter. Uh, he's a fantastic player. People forget how young he is still. Uh, he led the majors in 2018 with 217 strikeouts, which is a 33.4% K rate, which is like ridiculous. He had a 235, 315, 400 line. 
Very bad. The, the, the interesting thing was 85 of those strikeouts were on called third strikes. Um, rookies typically don't get the benefit of the doubt from umpires when it comes to close strikes. So some are to be expected. Um, but he also refused to expand the zone. He actually has a good batting eye. He was just very stubborn last year. He had 154 strikeouts, which still sounds very bad, but compared to 217, I mean, that's like a 63 K difference. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I guess. And guess what, Matt, 105 of those strikeouts came against right-handed pitchers so he has a very that is an internal struggle struggle that he will have to overcome to move forward and continue to become the elite player that we all want him to be is to be able to hit left-handed pitching from both sides of the plate uh if you look into his plate discipline to see like if he actually grew like how when his his swinging strike rate and his o swing actually went in the opposite direction of where you wanted it to see um so I kind of wanted to see like what the deal with that, like, you know, how much did the called third strikes really factor in, uh, in 2018 In 2018 his called strike percentage was 19.1 last year. It was 16.9, pretty big difference. Swing strike rate in 2018 was 12.2 went up to 14%. So you would think that those two would kind of cancel out cause it's the, you know, they're, they're as far as numbers, that's the way it looks. But the, the important thing is his swing percentage also went up 6.2%. So basically cut down on called strikes by being more aggressive, but his swing strike rate uh, went up because his swing rate went up. He swung at more pitches, therefore it went up, but it still, it worked out to his advantage. He was hitting the ball like a absolute monster. Um, as far as all of his stack data, which I can get to in a second. So the basic thing here is if you go on stack they have this thing where you can kind of look into a player's swing take profile and they break down the zone and basically the heart of the plate. And then just outside of the heart of the plate is called the shadow. And that's kind of where, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin used to get you, you know, like east to west and now more north to south. The calls just outside where pitchers kind of like to take advantage. And then outside of that is the chase zone and then wasted pitches. In 2018 to 2019, there's a big improvement. Um, to, you know, Moncada, I said, be, the, the, the umpires weren't giving you the benefit of the doubt. He refused to expand the zone in 2018. So in the, uh, the shadow, he was negative 27 in terms of runs. Last year, he was only negative three. Um, so a net gain of 35 runs. And that's kind of where a lot of his success came. So when you look at his plate discipline, it doesn't jump right out at you. You got to de- de- uh, dig a little deeper. But, um, you know, the exit velocity, top 3%, X, X batting average, top 10%, top 10% in almost everything, hard contact, X slugging, X Wobicon. You know, he's, it's kind of where you want it to be. Even he's increased his barrel rate from 9.6 to 12.2. And he's one of those guys we talked about before, Andrew Benintendi, Jose Ramirez. They perform better when they decrease their launch angle. He actually decreased his from 15.1 um, to 12 degrees. And he's not hitting as many pop-ups. He's, you know, he's not trying to like sell out for power. He was just hitting the ball harder for line drives, and they were finding their way out of the park. That increased his barrel rate, less weak contact, less uh hitting the ball, you know, hitting under the ball. So and he's, you know, he's super freaking young. <laughs> so, I mean, I think he still will get better. I mean, a 406 BABIP, he probably won't do that. But he actually checks off all of the uh, the check marks he'd like to. Um, sprint speed, 72%. Exit velocity, 97%. Hard contact, 92%. He has an all-fields approach to hitting. And he hits a ton of line drives. So everything that would allow a hitter to maintain a high BABIP, he has. Um, in AAA, he had a 379 BABIP. So... Is he going to hit above 400? No, not that many people do. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's not Jose Altuve, uh, but uh, you know, I think in general, um, he's he's looking very promising. And you mentioned he has a split problem, which he can talk about. You know, we can end with that. But another thing with Moncada is for young players, uh, breaking and off-speed pitches are usually a pretty big deal. 2018 versus breaking balls, he hit 179 last year, 267. Uh, 2018 versus off-speed, 216 last year, 327. I mean, vast improvement against things that usually make hitters struggle. So I don't know. I mean, if it isn't if it isn't obvious, I'm all in on this guy because I think what we saw last year was already awesome, and I think he he's getting better. Yep, exit velocity jump on breaking balls and off-speed pitches as well. So not only was he learning to hit them all around the field, um, but he was hitting them harder and he's he's making better contact and like you said for how young he is that's an that's a very big stride uh to to make that to make those big of statistical jumps um 
hitting, breaking, and off speed in your first year in the league. So that's pretty incredible. I have almost universal ownership of this guy. I mean, I called him and Matt Olson, I think will be MVP candidates in a shortened season. Who knows? I mean, Albert Pujols can be the MVP candidate. You don't know whoever gets hot at the right time could be an MVP candidate. Um, you know, no, no shaded actually Albert Pujols. He was amazing. People forget how great he was. Um, one last thing with Moncada, as if I'm not, I, my love hasn't gone far, far enough, but this is something that's very interesting. A lot of people are skeptical of the Babbitt and a lot of people are really on him, but this is one thing in his, in his profile. No one really talks about, and there's a little bit of steals in his repertoire as far as the majors go, but in the minors, he's still 45 and 49 once. There's no reason to think he's going to do it in the majors because they haven't asked him to. He is batting second on a team that strikes out a ton, but I mean, I don't know what you do with that information. He has it in him to steal 40 to 50 bases. I guess that's all I'm saying. The guy is fast. Uh, and for us to say he can't jump from 10 to 20 is not out of the question. I mean, he could go well above that, but you know, I think you can draft him. Um, especially this is more in dynasty. Like you're hoping for something, but you can't bank on it. But the speed, you know, we, some people talk about someone has speed in their back pocket. This guy, this guy is Billy Hamilton in his back pocket. Absolutely. And he will be there to clean up all of, you know, the mistakes that Tim Anderson may, <laughs> may or may not make over the course of a season. So, you know, if Tim Anderson's going to stick in the leadoff spot and he's going to strike out as much as he is and he's not going to get on base, Yon Mankata is right behind him, um, you know, to, to maybe get some stolen base opportunities if he's going to provide the on-base percentage that, that we expect from him. Uh, and a lot of people are more, um, maybe more comfortable with some people I'm about to name for third baseman. They're being taken around the same area, depending on who people like in your draft. Chris Bryant, Manny Machado, DJ LeMayhew, who sometimes plays in that area, and Max Muncy. Um, those are just some some general players that are being taken. I think he has the upside to lead that group in every single category in Roto. I'm not saying he will, but he has the upside to lead any of them in batting average, any of them in home runs, RBIs, runs, and stolen bases. And I love that. <laughs> so anyway, you know, my love fest uh, for Yon Moncada aside, let's move on to Jose Abreu. Probably one of the more underappreciated values in all of fantasy, I guess. Um, where do you land on Jose Abreu? I mean, do you think he's a value or do you think he's boring? I think I've always taken him as a value and he may be becoming boring, um, over time, but that's just because he's been around for this. I mean, he's 33 years old. People haven't realized how long he's actually, you know, been in the MLB. Um, but I, 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 you know, I don't mind where Bray is going and I've owned him throughout the years and I will continue to own him because he's going to give you what he's always given you, you know, for the past three to four years, he's going to give you 30 plus bombs. The only thing with a Bray, really that has concerned me over time has been, um, he, you know, he's obviously able to mash left-handed pitching, but he struggles to make contact uh, against right-handed pitching still thus far in his career. Um, you know, he has a 31 to 20, uh, to 121 strikeout ratio um, between left-handed and right-handed pitchers. So um, he's been chasing uh, pitches out of the zone a little bit more last season than he ever has before with the O contact also going down with that increase in chase rate. So, um, slight, you know, slight concerns with some of the plate discipline with Abreu over time. But other than that, I mean, he's still 93rd, 94th percentile in hard hit percentage and exit, average exit velocity. I mean, the dude's going to give you what he's provided over the last four years. And I will absolutely draft him at the spot he's going at and potentially even reach for him a bit um, in a pretty barren first base uh, situation this season. It is kind of barren. I mean, in his rookie year, he had 317 with 36 home runs, 107 RBIs. Next year, he had 290, 30 home runs, 101 RBIs. Then 293, 25 and 100, 304, 33, 102. Then he had an injury-plagued year, which he batted 265, 22 and 78. Then he came back last year, hit 284, 33 and 123. I'm pretty sure he's safe for 280 plus, 30 plus, 100 plus. I mean, he can put it in the freaking bank. So there's two schools of thought. People are crazy for drafting Peter Alonzo or uh, or Paul Goldschmidt or reaching on anyone earlier that, you know, you can get this value much later. Or are you crazy for taking him? Because CJ Crone's going to do pretty much the same thing even later. So I guess that's, uh, but that's, that's you know, there is risk there and he's in Comerica. I think it does land in the fact that 
he is going way later than he should compared to most people that have already been drafted. So I think he's a fantastic value. That's where I land. He is. He's in third. He's hitting third for probably one of the better, conceivably one of the better lineups in the American League. Yep. Absolutely agree there. Um, he's got a strength and lineup ahead of him and that should equal potentially even more RBIs, more runs. Yep. Uh, this is where the lineup starts to, the wheels start to fall off for me as far as where I agree. Yasmani Grandal, at least roster resource. That's what we're using for this, like always. They have Yasmani Grandal batting cleanup. Um, I think it's just an association of Tim Anderson as a righty, Yamankata switch hits, Jose Abreu as a righty, and Yasmani Grandal as a switch hitter. Um, he's a better right-handed hitter than he is a left-handed hitter, so I don't necessarily think that's the way it should be, uh, especially if Aloy is hitting the way he does. He does. He should definitely be hitting in front of Edwin and Grandal. Uh, Robert hits well. I mean, there's a lot of ways this lineup could go. So grain of salt with the whole thing. This is where I don't totally agree. I don't think Grandal should be batting fourth. I think that'll probably end up being Eloy's sooner than later. But anyway, Grandal is an on-base machine. Took a bit of a hit when they brought Edwin on board because we were hoping Yasmani could see him at bats at first base, DH, but all that is kind of clogged up now. Um, so any extra at bats that would have put him in like the JT Real Muto area uh, are kind of you know are kind of snuffed out. Same thing with Mitch Garver when they signed Donaldson. Sano went to first; those at bats went away. Um, so Grandel, he, he you know assuming he bats cleanup, not a huge difference between four, five, and six probably. But you you know you obviously get a big boost being right behind the superstars. So how do you like Grandel this year in one catcher league? Yeah, I like Rondell in one catcher leagues, but it totally depends on whether that catcher league is an average league, whether it's an OBP league, um, points league. So um, OBP league, he needs to be your guy, in my opinion. And Matt, you and I agreed on this, and we both took Rondell in the Remix Dynasty launch draft um, pretty early on. I think he was like fourth round we took Yasmani Rondell, and that's because he is going to always provide the OBP that you need um, to fill that slot. He's a good stabilizer. He's going to give you the power. He's going to give you 25 plus home runs. He's walking 17% of the time nowadays. Um, absolutely, you know, incredible eyes at the plate. And he's really refined his approach over the, the past couple of seasons. And we really saw that in Milwaukee um, last season. And what do you, you know, something that also really contributed to his success was um, he stopped pulling the ball as much. Um, he started to hit it to, to all fields. Um, and so, you wouldn't necessarily assume a player to to change their approach that way for Miller Park. Uh, a lot of guys like to pull the ball hard in Miller Park, um, but he made the strides to become a better hitter himself and hit the ball to all fields, hit breaking balls better. Um, so, yeah, all around, I love Yasmani Grandal in one catcher leagues, two catcher leagues, whatever it may be. Yeah, I like um, I like Grandal a lot. I, I see no reason in, I, in, 12, in one catcher leagues. I usually don't draft any catcher early. I mean – I don't care who I end up getting, to be honest. Um, if I have Jason Castro, I'm kind of fine with that. But in two catcher leagues, uh, he's pretty much on all of my teams because I I don't think where Real Muto is going that much further in front of him, it's worth it. And if someone's going to pull the plug on Gary Sanchez early, they can have him too. Grandal never seems to get the respect he deserves as far as no one kind of pulls or reaches for him. So by the time it gets there, I like him a lot more than you know going to Wilson Contreras or anyone because I think the question marks start to pile up after that. So if he's going to have a prominent spot in this lineup, I'm all about it. Uh, right after him is Edwin Encarnacion, which I don't know. I mean, it's not quite Nelson Cruz, uh, but I mean, sort of. Is, is this the year that the wheels are going to completely fall off? Because it seems like there's always – Nelson Cruz is preseason, right? Hey, is this the year the wheels are going to fall off? No, and he kicks ass for a year. Edwin, Edwin always gives us a – a heart attack at some point in the year he goes through some stretch where he's just brutal and he, he just looks like he's over but i mean this is like since 2012 his home run totals 42 36 34 39 42 38 32 34 <laughs> ah i mean you know doubt him at your own peril he's getting worse though it is happening every year i mean batting average 277 263 258 246 244 they are going down. <laughs> uh, same with his on base. Uh, same with his plate discipline. It's it's it. The wheels are, are falling off. So I think this is a guy destined to definitely fall in the lineup, maybe even lose his job at some point. But in a shortened season, what do you think? Because for the we, we can talk about this too. Streaky guys. What do you make of them? Because if you get a if you get a hot streak out of Edwin, 
he could win you your league in a, in an 80 game season. He could also lose you your league. <laughs> so, I mean, where do you, where are you at? We talked about how deep first base is not deep. Edwin's probably that last guy off the board um, that you can kind of hopefully fill a category with his home runs. And then after that, you're getting into Joey Votto, Eric Hosmer, Evan White, guys with a little more question marks. So he's kind of that last guy after Carlos Santana where it's kind of like shelves, <laughs> shelves are empty. Right, right. And um, something interesting with Edwin, I would say, is because he's most likely going to fill that DH role, right? Like, mm-hmm. like he has been. So um, I don't see, you know, I see Jordan Oliver as, you know, going at pick 55. And I don't see too much more upside in Alvarez besides throwing in the speed, obviously. Um, but Encarnacion, if he's going to hit in the middle of this White Sox lineup, he's going to provide nearly as much value as Alvarez. He's going to provide better value going at pick 166 versus 55. So in the DH world, um, I'm going to wait on Encarnacion, but uh, personally, especially because I just don't want anything to do with any Astros. That's a that's a personal issue. We don't have to get into that. Um, but he's going to give you 30 plus home runs and he's going to give you what he's given you for the past five years. So his RBIs, this is the guy I was talking about. His RBIs were down a little bit, um, but with the improved lineup ahead of him now, he's going to get more chances with guys on base. And he's a very good hitter with runners in scoring position. And if Abreu and Grandal do fail to drive in the top of the lineup, you have Encarnacion to clean up behind. And that is if he does get on his good streaks, like you were saying. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle him, um, you know, in a shortened season, if they just play, you know, if they play, um, if if they play splits, with different guys or, or how they approach it. If they're going to switch guys in and out of the DH role um, with Abreu and if they're going to get Zach Collins, any at bats this season, that's uh, that remains to be seen. So a lot of different ways um, um, this could go. And one thing with Encarnacion is he's pulling the ball a lot more than he has over the past three seasons. Um, his fly ball rate was at 50% last season. So, um, you know, if you can kind of repeat and maintain, maintain the batted ball skills and, um, you know, continue to hit the ball as hard as he has been. Uh, that was up a little bit last year. So um, then I think he's going to give you, you know, even more than what he gave you last season if he can if he can stay healthy. Uh, Eloy Jimenez is up next. Again, I already said throughout the show, I think he, he he's, he's a star. He's going to bat higher in this lineup probably this year. Last year in only 500 plate appearances, batted 267, slug 513, had 31 home runs and nearly 80 RBIs. I have no problem with this kid. He's going to be amazing. Uh, 26.6 strikeout percentage. He's getting drafted not quite as early as Vlad last year, who had no major league at bats. He got in. But, I mean, what are you expecting from him? Uh, that's that's the question. You're drafting him so early. I mean, it's not as early as Peter Alonzo with things being overdrafted. But, like, what are what's the difference here between him and Kyle Schwarber? In my opinion, I think with the zero stolen bases, and that's where you're getting pretty much zero. Uh, I you can get his at least what we can expect because like he's probably going to have some growing pains. He's a young hitter. Not not everyone's Juan Soto. Most hitters, even Hall of Famers, will struggle earlier in, the, earlier in their career. But for the kind of player he is in a shortened season, I'm not so sure you need to be taking him that early. I know I mentioned uh, Kyle Kyle Schwarber, who I think is a nice comp for that area, right in the same city. Framil Reyes will probably have a far worse, maybe a far worse batting average, uh, but power can be found later. You can make that up. Um, so I lay and I love Aloy, but for price, he's an easy pass for me. He gives you no steals, which are really important early in, in drafts, especially for Roto In uh, points. Maybe, you know, he has more value, but um, yeah, for me, it's a, it's a pass. He's being taken way too early. I know I can recreate him cheaper later in the draft. Yeah, there is potential for, uh, sophomore slump as well, which is something that I fear. Uh, that's something that I also fear with Alonzo coming up with people taking him at 33 and you got a Jimenez going at 54, got 500 plate appearances last season and put up 31 bombs. But, um, you know, is that going to warrant a pick, you know, a 54th overall pick in a draft for me? No, it does not. I can understand taking the upside, but like you said, there's no speed to be had there. Um, and, and so, you know, after balancing out his his fly ball and ground ball rates over in the MLB over 500 plate appearances, um, his BABIP did regress to the league average. So that's something also to take into account. Um, yeah. 
No, I mean, there's, I mean, I mean, I, I named Schwarber. I mean, Jorge Soler. You can get round a couple rounds later. Same guy. <laughs> uh, you can get a, you know, Schwarber, uh, who I believe has the ability to be better than both this year. Uh, much later. I mean, we mentioned CJ Crone, who can be had for free-ish in twelve-team leagues. I think you know if you're looking for thirty and a hundred, he's not. You know, he's not, maybe not a lock. He's in a bad lineup in a bad park. Um, so you're not going to get what you're getting from Aloy. I understand that, but you're getting it. You're not paying for it, which is the problem. Uh, it's not what, who else are you taking instead of Aloy? It's what positions are you taking instead of that you could have taken right there. You know, you, you know, you're passing on different positions that could have helped you. So Aloy Jimenez, amazing dynasty, amazing 2020 overpriced. Yep. yep. I completely agree. Uh, no more Mazzara. Did you know he's only 24 years old? Yeah. He's sneaky young. It's and people crazy. have been writing him off. He's his career's his career's over, right? His career is over. He's 24 years old, everybody. Uh, he came up, uh, drilled the ball. He had 20 home runs three years in a row before finally breaking that trend last year when he hit 19. Uh, in 2017, he came up, he collected 101 RBIs and only in 448 games. Uh, last year, he had kind of a meh campaign, batted 268 with just a 94 runs created plus, and they decided to ship him over to Chicago, which is good, which is interesting because. Um, Tim Anderson, uh, you know, there, there's, there's certain things, um, Yamankata is one where they tried to make the hitters more aggressive and that is something they're trying to do. The twins are trying to get everyone to pull and elevate the ball and it worked for them. Um, so as a team philosophy, this is someone that could definitely stand to be maybe a little more aggressive at the plate. His ground balls have kind of always been his Achilles heel. Uh, he posted a career high 10.7 barrel rate last year, which is not very good. An X slugging in the 71st percentile. But he had a 46.8% ground ball rate. And with his kind of middle of the road exit velocity and hard hit percentage, 89.1 miles per hour, <laughs> that is that is not going to work. Um, and the ground ball percentage, I think, is kind of what made him stagnant at the major league level. He came up, hit a certain level, never went beyond it. I mentioned the ground ball rate. Since Mazzara's rookie season, there have been 292 players with at least 1,000 plate appearances. Of those 292 players, only 38 of them have a higher ground ball percentage than Nomar. I mean, it's 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 bad. He is, like I said, when I say middle of the road, he is middle of the road. And it's worse because it's middle of the road inconsistency. If you look up Nomar Mazar in StatCast, you might be surprised to learn he is the owner of the hardest hit ball in the StatCast era. No one has hit a ball harder than him. It's Nomar Mazar. Google it. It's a moonshot. Um, it's just, you know, he... He makes bad contact. He, he, you know, he, he's, he's just not consistent. He's one of those guys you look up launch angle, standard deviation. He's awful. Um, even his ex Wobacon versus four seamers is 360. League average is 370. I mean, you do not want to be hitting below average against fastballs. Um, and he just, and why he does that is he struggles against heat. There's something he just can't catch up to it, which is why you know he he struggles in his pull percentage which means, you know, pulled balls are the ones you usually get hit the hardest line drives and pulled balls. And he's just not getting to it. So, I mean, there's just not a lot to see here. His O swing is 38.4%. Um, ah, me, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, the, the skills are there, right? We, we know the, the, the talent is there. I should say maybe the skills aren't. (laughs) So what do you think? I mean, X batting average of 272 is encouraging. Uh, and he hit, you know, given his line drive profile, but I mean, Change of scenery is the only thing I see. Yeah, and that's really the only the only change here. But like we covered, you know, 24 years old, he does have a chance to make some adjustments. But um, just some interesting things to to pick out about Mazzara. Um, if you put two and two together, um, you know, he hits best um, when there aren't guys on base. He's not really that great of a hitter when the guys are in scoring position, when he's got men on base, but he's a substantially better hitter with the bases empty out ahead of him, um, which some hitters just flat out are, and that's why they get moved to the leadoff spot. So, yes, you're not getting speed with Nomar Real, real quick, Chica- Chicago, if you're listening, do not move Nomar Mazzara to the leadoff spot. <laughs> right. No, I was not I was not going to say the leadoff <laughs> spot. I was going to say fifth. <laughs> so, essentially, almost like a second leadoff spot. And so that's where he performs the best and where he has performed best over time. So he's a 338 hitter, you know, batting fifth in the lineup with, with nobody on ahead of him. So that's a potential spot where Mazzara could thrive and see more fastballs. Um, compared to what you know, what he was getting offered in Texas, and not so much. He's not really in a better 
hitting environment, uh, as we can see, especially with the new the new um, dome over in Texas. Um, but the only thing that we can hope for from Mazzara is that he starts um, to hit left-handed pitching a little bit better. And he's just another issue. The White Sox have this issue of guys that strike out a lot, um, and they have a lot of splits issues. So um, If they platoon him, he could be okay. Versus righties, 288 career with a 500 slugging. That'll work. Right. Unfortunately, 220 with a 394 versus lefties. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so he needs to be used wisely. And I'm not sure if he's going to, if he doesn't prove himself right off the bat, especially in a, in a shortened season, he's not going to, you know, to stick out there full time in my opinion. Yeah. But we know he can hit the ball hard and, um, you know, he's 24 years old. Like, remember that he probably was brought to the majors too early. Who knows? A chain of scenery, scenery really could do the kid wonders. Remember J.D. Martinez. He was a giant prospect coming out of Houston, and then he got completely shut down. They released him. Detroit picks him up, and then you know every you know the rest is history. You know, there's plenty of talent here, and I do not want to write off his ability to turn it around. But as an analytics guy, I like to look for reasons that you can prove. And there's there's just nothing there. <laughs> there's there's nothing there. He had a before his defenders come and attack me. He had a thumb injury last year. I don't think it mattered. I mean, it probably bothered him. I don't think he would have been, I don't think he would have been much better with or without it. Uh, so where you're getting him, people say that's a great value, except there's other people still in that area that made tangible change that like Mark Canna in that area. I'd much rather have him. You saw what happened when he got his opportunity uh, and he's going to be batting, you know, he batted clean up for that really strong Oakland lineup. He'll be batting every day. I'd rather have him. So, you know, no more Mazzara. There's him. Uh, and then to uh, end out the lineup, a couple of guys, Luis Robert, who another guy <laughs> getting probably really, 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 really overdrafted because he steals bases. The problem is how many bases is this guy going to steal hitting eighth? <laughs> Uh, because no matter how well he hits, obviously he can hit well enough to move up. But in a shortened season, I do not see him hitting well enough to move well beyond that. If anything, hitting higher will hurt his stolen base potential. He's He almost is better off batting ninth, kind of that double leadoff. It'll hurt his at-bats. But uh, for him, you know, you know that, that, that might be where he is. Uh, I don't mean, what are your thoughts on Luis Robert? He moved to AAA and he extreme hitters park. So he hit 16 of his home runs last year, which he hit 32 of them in triple a. So that's kind of a grain of salt. But again, you don't have to give him 32, you know, bring it, bring it down to 25 and you still got a guy who's going to be stealing like 35 plus bases <laughs> and give you 25 home runs. So 20, 30, you know, 30, 30, whatever it's, it's, it's magical what he is capable of, but you know, in a shortened season out of the eight hole, let's just assume he's there. Um, what do you expect from him in 2020? Yeah, it's a it's a major price thing, like like you're saying with Robert too. Um, you know, he even if he doesn't give you the 35 home runs or whatever that that people are expecting from him, you know, if he does subside down to a 20 home run guy, um, he is still going to give you um, a value, but not at the spot that that he's going. So obviously, an Uber prospect, um, you know, 70 grade speed. Um, he's a, probably could be a gold gold glove defender someday um he has the power but he hasn't really proven um to have the you know he, he's proven to have the hit tool but he hasn't proven to advance the hit tool as much as to be able to walk a little bit more often so that's something i'd like to see he has you know he's obviously an on-base you know machine um he sprays the ball to all fields pretty well and he just he's a raw hitter um, but I, if he can increase his walk percentage a little bit more up to where he was, you know, in single A in 2018, 8% walk percent, we just don't have much, um, you know, we don't have a big sample size from Luis Robert. And so that's why I'm hesitant to even, you know, take him at all um, in redraft leagues, just simply because we, we haven't had a chance to see him at the major league level. And that's a lot to pay up for. Um, but, you know, if you're, it's, you go big or go home. So yeah. it's yep. Hey, if they were if it was a, even if they were worse like the Orioles and he was getting it every day to lead off, at least you maybe have those stolen bases as a, as a as a floor. But in the eight hole, you just don't have them. No. And if he struggles at all with his plate discipline, with his walks, with his strikeouts, with, like he probably will as a rookie. Um, his power, we already said, you, you should be taken with a grain of salt because the hitters park he was hitting it in AAA. Just for this year, it's it's just yeah. There's there could be profit. I don't want to say he's being drafted at his ceiling. There's some, there's a great ceiling there, but you, the, the problem is the floor is literally unusable. He could be so bad 
that you know they they can't use him. They already paid him, so they can send him back. They don't care. There's nothing to be had there. They they've already paid him. He has a major league contract before having, you know, a major league at bat. You know, see how that worked out for the Phillies. <laughs> you know, when they uh, I'm misplacing his name right now, a Scott Kingery. Um, so yeah, sometimes it doesn't work out immediately. We I, I think we both agree he's going to be good, but who knows this year? Lurie Lurie Garcia. <laughs> uh, I don't know how far you're going to make it into this year. Uh, if you were, ba- if you're on another worst team, like Jose Iglesias, we mentioned on the Orioles, he's batting second there. If Lurie Garcia was batting at the top of some crappy lineup, he could have some value hitting around <laughs> 270, giving you like 10 home runs, 10, 15 stolen bases. That's okay in a 15 team league, but here I mean, he's batting ninth. He's uh doesn't walk. He strikes out a ton. Typical white sock. I mean, is there any, the- is there anything he, here? Is there anything here? I think he, I think he could, I think he could lose his job before opening day to Madrigal. I agree. And I would like to see that because Madrigal needs to be given the opportunity to prove himself at the major league level. He's done enough in the minor leagues and he's just going to keep, um, you know, churning, just churning, churning in the minor leagues if they don't give him an opportunity to grow. And so, yeah, like you said, Louis Garcia is basically Tim Anderson squared in the <laughs> nine hole. Um, and, you know, with less home runs, less ne- ne- negative squared. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about Lurie because he's not going to be relevant, you know, 20, yeah. 30 games into the season. And I know we talk about him the whole time, but Madrigal, again, if he does come up, it's it's tough to gauge. If you get news, though, A, if you're an OBP league, must almost must own, um, even if he's batting in the nine hole, because his stuff, usually plate discipline will play. He's he's a singles hitter, but he, you know, he's all fields. He hits line drives. If you ever watch video, he knows how to hit. It's just not he's not he's not a great hitter, but for the kind of hitter he is, it'll work. Um if they're going to tell him to go in the nine hole his rookie year and get on base, that's not a lot of pressure and he that's something he can do without like ruining the kind of player he is because that's kind of who he is. Get up there and try to outsmart the hitter, outsmart the pitcher, get on base, and he's fast. So, you know, if he's in the lineup, even if he's batting ninth, I'm probably going to want a piece of him. And, you know, in 12-team leagues, he'll probably be waiver wire. In 15-team leagues, he's still borderline free. Um, so if, if you're drafting before news comes out about it, he's he's one of those guys I'd like to throw the last guy on my bench, then I own him. If he's not making the team, you can, you know, first man off. Yeah, and, and uh, something intriguing, like obviously hits the ball on the ground like a ton, and that's yeah. kind of Madrigal's thing. Um, and that's just, you know, speedy guys without much power. That's Willie Mays Hayes, hit the ball yeah. on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not 60% of the time like he did last <laughs> season. But so, yeah, Madrigal, 60% ground ball rate last season. But somehow, um, you know, he hit 331, and he maintained a Babbitt of 336. So I know we don't like to talk about Babbitt very often, but – you know, when you're talking about ground ball hitters or ground ball pitchers, it can somewhat rein you back into whether if they are they getting lucky or are they not getting lucky. And over the last few seasons, it really appears that Magical is making strides and he's actually, you know, he's hitting the ball with somewhat authority and he's directing it, spraying it all across the field. And he's not he's beating defenses, he's beating pitchers and he's beating defenses. And this is being reflected um, in both of these statistics. They're both, you know, he's stabilized out. The stolen bases are going to be there. The speed's going to be there. The OBP is going to be there. And if he gets moved at the top of the lineup, the runs are going to be there. So Nick Madrigal is going to be the three to four category player, um, you know, in the next year or two. Um, he just needs to get his reps. He's got like 60, 70 grade speed in the, you know, in the minors in 2019 and A. Again, him and Robert, by the way, both moved A, double A, triple A all in one year. That tells you how what they feel about them. Uh, 17 stolen bases uh, in A, 14 in double A, four in triple A. So the, the guy can fly, which is another reason he can keep a high BABIP. Um, other than that, do we like anything in the Chicago bench? We got uh, James McCann, Chelsea Cuthbert, Danny Mendick, and Adam Engel. I've got nothing for any of those guys, <laughs> nothing, to be honest right? with you. Yeah, not interested in any of the bench guys. The only person who would potentially interest me is if they were to bring Zach Collins onto the team. Um, and they use him in some sort of first base slash DH role rotation with, you know, Encarnacion and Abreu. I have no idea how that would pan out. Um, but if he, if he's going to be on their bench, 
um, you know, and such a potent White Sox team, you have to have him as a handcuff, in my opinion, because if one of those guys goes down, if Abreu goes down for the season, especially in a shortened season, a slight tweak could take him out for all of 2020. Um, Collins has got to be there. Vaughn's waiting in the, uh, you know, in the shadows. But in my opinion, Collins should get that that chance because he did somewhat prove himself last season to, to hit the ball hard. He hit a few bombs. Um but he, you know, he deserves his chance. And if Collins is going to be on the team, then I'm going to watch him, and I, I'm, I might own him as a handcuff potentially. Uh yeah, I, yeah, not, not, not a ton to, to add to that. Uh, Adam Engel, I had some shares last year, like deep leagues, because I thought maybe they're he's getting at bats. I thought maybe there's some speed there. Didn't work out. Uh, at, at best, he maybe platoons with Nomar Mazara if he ends up being a platoon player. But yeah, other than that, let's move on to the rotation. Um, Basically, one very interesting guy, and then four question marks. We'll, we'll call it. We'll call him question marks. Lucas Giolito. I have zero shares. I do not dislike him. I actually think he's great. Uh, the only problem is he did. You know, after again, uh, I believe in everything he did. I always say this on the show: when someone was supposed to be awesome struggles and then becomes awesome, I don't question it. If you were supposed to be awesome and you become awesome fine. It's the, you have become what you're supposed to have been. Uh, he did have a very rough stretch down the end. His last 16 starts, he had a four, four, two ERA, um, probably some, some pitch mix problems. You know, I mean, he was, uh, but he did start off with like a kind of a, an awesome start, his fastball, which he throws like 55% of the time. P Val went from negative 13 and a half to 20 and a half. I believe in all of it. Um, but from where he's going, like right behind the big guys, like right behind Blake Snell, obviously I'd rather have him than Snell because of the elbow issues, but, um, I'm uncomfortable taking him where he's going, especially in a, in a shortened season, um, with a lot of the guys, like, you know, a lot of the guys now like Paddock and glass now, where if they had certain issues with innings, I no longer care about that. So I'd much rather take glass now than, than Giolito. Um, how do you feel about him for this year? Cause again, I don't know. It sounds like I'm shitting on him. I, I think he could be great. I think, I think he could be a three ERA one whip 30 plus K percentage. I think that's who he can be, but I think that there's a very good chance. Cause he has some blow up games that he's maybe a four ERA 1.2, maybe 25% strikeout guy. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking for you know, this season from Giolito is to be able to make it further into games. He did make it deep into some games last season, but, um, you know, making it two, three times, four times through the order and not faltering, like you said, um, is something, something that's going to give him the edge and keep him as an ace essentially. And so, uh, with Giolito, I, you know, I completely believe in the breakthrough, um, that he has had because it, it is backed by a, a complete mechanical change, um, you know, of the way that, that he released the ball, um, his delivery got a little bit more robotic. You could say a little bit shorter arm circle, almost like an infielding arm circle. It's kind of interesting, um, but he's become way more accurate. And so, you know, he took, he took what he was doing wrong and he understood it and he made a change to correct it. And that's very real. So like a top prospect, top pitching prospect, like he was now panning out, like you said, I don't, you know, I don't question it at all because all it took was a change of arm circle for him to put a little bit more movement, a little bit more ride on that fastball um, and to be able to place it wherever he wants. And so something that maybe Reynaldo Lopez, his teammate might want to look into um, potentially to increase the command on the fastball. But, you know, the changes were very real and they were physical and mechanical. And so some issues might come along with that. He may have some back stiffness like he did. Um, but if he stays in shape in the off season and, and is preventative towards those, those measures, then, uh, Giolito has a chance to remain an ace and a little bit, you know, too high of a fly ball percentage, still a little too high for my liking. Um, especially if the ball's going to remain juice, not that big of an issue in, in the South side of Chicago, but, um, for me, elite transformation and, and he's got good command of, of those pitches now. So I look for him to take a step forward, but like you said, I'm not taking him. Um, at, at his price, uh, I just, you know, it's, it's really hard to, because usually someone just grabs him before I can just the way that teams are, are structured and the draft goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just other guys I'd rather have, um, uh, for cheaper, uh, Dallas Keuchel is penciled in as their number two starter, which tells you all you need to know about the rest of this rotation, uh, which is probably why they can't hang with the twins or maybe not even the Indians, especially in a shortened season. Everyone wanted to write out the Indians. 
got Carlos Carrasco. They got Mike Clevenger. They got they got Shane Bieber. Holy crap! They could be pretty good in a short season. But Dallas Keuchel is very disrespected, um, especially in this short season here. He I don't know how many years you have left. You know he won a Cy Young, and he's one of those guys. It's the reason I don't buy into Mike Soroka. Um, you know he's like you know a, 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 an expensive version of Kyle Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks is who he is. And then you got a poor man's Kyle Hendricks here in Dallas Keuchel. Dallas Keuchel won a Cy Young. Then he was drafted really high in fantasy drafts, never paid off. Basically when he was drafted high, he didn't pay off. And then we got him chief. He, he did well. Pitchers like this shouldn't be taken high in fantasy drafts. Cause you know, if the K's aren't there, they can fluctuate, but I love it this year because he's sitting there with Yasmani Grandal. The robo umps are not here yet. And I think that, I think that Grandal may be able to squeeze a little bit of juice out of Keuchel this year. The strikeouts still won't be there, but man, I think that there's maybe a sub three, five ERA one, two whip, maybe 20 ish K percentage in Keuchel. And when you're getting him um, again, almost free. Uh, I, I love it. I think Keuchel is uh, you know, he's not anyone who's going to be winning you your league, but if you take a few shots early and you plug him in as your, your last guy, I mean, he's going to give you the innings and I, I, I love, I do. I, I love him in Chicago. He's going to have nice run support. I, I think he's in a good spot there. Yeah. It's incredible how Yasmani Grandal and a catcher of that caliber can, can bump up someone's value like this. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I, I, I wouldn't take Keiko where he's going if he didn't have Grandal as his catcher, if he was pitching, you know, in the same situation that he was last season, he just needs a change to his sequencing. Like he straight up just started getting hit a lot harder than he has throughout his career. He regressed to a league average barrel rate, which is something that, you know, you don't really want to see from a guy, like you said, like a Kyle Hendricks type guy who is known, who has made his, his living on generating weak contact and a, a boatload of ground balls. And so the ground balls were still there, but the strikeouts were not there. Um, to get him out of, you know, sticky situations. And so, um, you know, his, you know, his, his splits are obviously a concern as well. He's walking right-handed batters at an insane rate, which is like, I, I haven't dug very deep into that, but it's, it's pretty incredible how much more he's walking right-handed bit batters. So I don't know if it's something mentally um, that he needs to, to change when he's attacking right-handed batters, maybe pitching backwards, but Grandal is absolutely going to help with these types of things. And uh, like you said, he's absolutely worth taking a flyer um, and, and expect, you know, at least a, an average to, you know, maybe an even slightly above average season in a shortened season from Keuchel. Uh, Reynaldo Lopez, which if all these games are in Arizona, stay far away. Um, <laughs> any of the extreme fly ball hitchers that pitchers, that can be like volatile, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen now. If there's a season, it looks like they're, they may be pitching at home. <sighs> I don't know. I, I don't like Reynaldo Lopez. Um, his, his, in a shortened season, I think it benefits him, though, because he, he had a problem with velocity in terms of staying consistent. Um, in a 100 or in a 100 or less game season, 80 game less season, he can probably keep his, his velo up in the 96, 97 range where he needs to be. When it got brought down, it was kind of getting crushed. And the problem with it, the problem with his fastball being down is his changeup and curveball, or so his changeup and slider are so so. Um, his changeup, especially, I think I read uh, 160 weighted runs created plus off of his changeup. 160, um, and he throws it in the zone 52% of the time. So, uh, if you have a fastball, if his fastball is not getting up there and where the velo needs to be, and you have another pitch that's pretty much getting served up, like you have a, you know, if the ch- you want the changeup and fastball to be far apart, if they're not the changeup that's already not good is going to be even worse. So he needs his slider to really step up if he's going to be like that neck, you know, really take that step forward. And I didn't really see it last year. So I could see him taking a step forward, but I mean, no, I mean, he he strikes me as a guy who could have like a five plus ERA and literally be out of the league soon if he doesn't get his stuff together. Uh, So I, I just can't find, I just can't find the enthusiasm for Reynaldo Lopez. Yeah. And the issue with, with Lopez is, you know, you saw, some improvements that that you like to see from pitchers from year to year. He had an increased K rate. He decreased his walks, but his whip went up. And that came, you know, that straight up just came from from 2018 to 2019. In 2018, he gave up 165 hits. 2019, he gave up 203 hits in less innings. So this guy, you know, he's just he's throwing the fastball way too often early in the count. He's predictable. 
Um, the fastball is straight as an arrow, as far as I can see from, from what I've watched. Um, and he's just not locating it. Well, he's kind of like, he's, he's got the problem that Dylan cease does, but Dylan cease has the massive hammer curveball, you know, with a 27.1% put away rate. Plus he's uh he plays, plays like wild thing or nuke Lelouch. <laughs> he don't know if he's going to hit you with a fastball. Exactly. <laughs> like it's it coming, gonna, it's it coming hot. Yeah, it's, it's coming hot, but you have no idea. You have no idea where it's going. Neither like, does he. So yeah, Reynaldo Lopez. Um, just it, the there's many concerns with the profile. Like the talent was obviously there, but they have not been able to harness it, and he hasn't been able to control his pitches. So and until he does, like you said, he could find himself out of this rotation, especially with Mister Michael Kopech lurking in the shadows. Yeah, Michael Kopech. Uh, before we talk about him, another young pitcher you just mentioned, Dylan Cease. Uh, I'm not on board. I can't be. His his fastball literally got destroyed. I do not like. This is why I don't have many, many uh, shares of Shane Bieber. I just can't get on board with a pitcher who fastball gets destroyed. He's a special case, and I've warmed up to him. I still like my Clevenger more, but he obviously has a lot of elite secondary stuff and elite command, so he's obviously – I don't know why I brought him up, just in terms of having a bad fastball. We, uh, you mentioned the hammer curveball. He has Dylan Cease, but again – he, um, he he has trouble keeping the ball in the zone. He tries to elevate his fastball a ton, which is good. But then when he tries to like kind of cheat and aim it, he just like leaves it over the plate and he just gets smoked like crazy. And I just, there's no reason in a shortened season to take a, take a uh, flyer on that because I mean, I don't know. I just, he's probably looking for more of the same to be honest. Yeah. And like you said, like the curveball, um, you know, it is good. Um, slider's even better. But the problem is that he's starting the curveball, like he's starting it out of the zone and it's just breaking into the zone. Like you said, he's just dropping it like in like batting practice for for everyone across the league and and the fastball. So you're doing that with two pitches. Um, you know, with the curveball, you got to start it in the zone and have it break out of the zone. So something with Cease, like you said, 2020, not buying in. Like I own him in dynasty leagues because mm-hmm. the talent is incredible. Like he, you know, he has the potential to become a number two pitcher in this system. You know, no, no one shocked me this year. Over five ERA throws a no hitter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? that, that, I mean, with, you have with, to. You... With with five walks. Who's that guy who um he's <laughs> everywhere? Edwin, Edwin Jackson. We're going to get an Edwin Jackson no hitter out of Cease this year. I won't complain, <laughs> but yeah, like you said, price, uh, I can't, I can't buy into it because he's going to walk too many people. And it, when you walk one or two guys, you know, ERA, obviously everything inflates coming after that. So until he gets his command under control, I'm not going to, I'm not taking him in any redraft leagues. All right. And around out the rotation for now, it looks like Gio Gonzalez might've been thrown in there. He's usually undervalued. If you're in a super deep league, he's probably really good. He came off a shoulder. Uh, some shoulder tightness, so he didn't pitch that well last year. Um, for the Brewers, 3-5 ERA, one two nine whip is fine. Uh, for the White Sox, I think he could be okay, but I'm just not sure Kopik could be coming. Um, and, you know, they Carlos Rodon is just coming off of Tommy John this week, maybe today. Like, I think it's like the one-year anniversary, um, like, you know, since – so he'll be coming back, but I, I think he's probably going to be more of a bullpen piece for them this year, right? They need him in the bullpen, to be honest. Yeah. So that is that is obviously where he should start. Yep. So in terms of 2020, any any interest? Because there's no 12-team league interest in either of these guys. I mean, there could be for Kopik at a certain point, but on draft day, there's not. Uh, Gio Gonzalez and Kopik. Do you think Kopik is definitely taking this at some point? Do you think that because of the weird rules with the service time, they may leave him in the minors? They're obviously trying to compete, though. So... And we don't know what this, they're going to have these upper league camps for the, the, the minors because there's no minors. So we don't even know how they're going to bring along people that aren't with the team. So it's a whole confusing situation. Hopefully in spring training, teams will really use those as audition pieces for their top prospects. Right. Yeah. And the two conditions for, for Kopech are to, you know, not give up home runs on just about every fly ball that he gives up and um, uh, for the health to obviously remain in check. So um, I, I'm really looking forward to see Kopech, whether it's out of um, whether it's out of the bullpen or whether he makes the rotation. But the thing with Gio Gonzalez, like, you know, he's serviceable, like he's had up and down seasons. But I mean, 2015, 379 ERA, 2016, 457 ERA, 2017, 296 ERA, 2018, 421 ERA. So he's been kind of a roller coaster back to a 350 ERA, like you were saying, with the Brewers. Um, and so 
you could buy into, you know, 15 team league. I absolutely would warrant taking a late round stab at him because um, if he's going to give you a three, five ERA, um, you know, at his age and do you know, and give you the ground ball percentage that he's going to give you in, in Chicago, then he's worth taking a stab at, but we just don't know how Maybe long he's going to remain. Another guy, Grandal may pull, pull some gold out on, you know I mean? He, he's well, a poor, he's a poor man's left-handed Bartolo Colon in terms of his, his fastballs low is now sitting below 90, just waiting to get killed. So he really needs to be a magician with mixing up the change up and the curveball. So he, he, that's why I mean Grandal in terms of maybe he can work a game plan out with him. He needs a game plan. Um, and those two together, I think hopefully can come up with something. So, and they did. Last mm-hmm. season, they did mm-hmm. like all, you know, the entire line that Gio, uh, that Gio Gonzalez posted last season, that was with Yasmani Grandal as his mm-hmm. catcher. So he came back from a two, four, two, one year, a season, um, and brought it back to three, five, Oh, with Yasmani Grandal as his catcher. So if you, if you had that, you'd be happy with it. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's a really good point, Matt. Um, Grandal again, you know, bumping the value of some of these pitchers and he may fly under radars, you know, late in drafts because of what he did the pri- the previous season in 2018. But, you know, if it's me and I need a guy to fill out, you know, a, a streamer position or, or to have a handcuff, um, like Gio Gonzalez is one of my top options really late in those 15 team drafts. So when you see in the news ticker, Michael Kopik going <laughs> to the bullpen, and everyone else is like, damn it. You'd be like, yes, pick up Gio <laughs> Gonzalez off the waiver wire. He just gained some value. Absolutely. Uh, the bullpen before we end the show real quick. It's a two man show. Unless you're in a holds league, which not many people are, but um, Alex Colmay, Aaron Bummer. Um, I'm not touching Colmay who, who gave up a little more home runs. He's getting older. Uh, he's in that zone of people where I'm just not reaching for a closer. If I end up with Keon Kila, if I end up with uh, Joe Jimenez, uh, Hansel Robles, I don't really care. I'm not reaching for a guy like Colome because there's not a big difference for me in between any of them, especially in a shortened season where a lot of these teams are probably going to be splitting it up a lot more than they usually did. They'll probably be expanded rosters. Aaron Bummer, if there's some lefties up, maybe he takes them in the ninth inning. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, they're both fine. Um, in, I don't know. I mean, what do you think here? Bummer first, does Bummer have a lot more value than we thought? Do we think that a lot more relievers will get used in the shortened season? Um, or do you think that, uh, the closers, the main closers might just get more, it's that much more important to get that elite guy. It's so cloudy because in my opinion, um, we have to remember so that closers, they may have a shorter leash than usual, um, with a shorter season, right? So like in a normal season, if Colome were to blow maybe five saves in the first half, he's going to get that second half to maybe re-earn you know, trust from his coaching staff and from his teammates. But mm-hmm. um, Colome, you know, if, if if he blows a save or two, like we're talking, you know, an 80-year game, 80 or less game season, um, he may be out of there right away. And that may go for all teams around the league. At so, least at least a hot hand approach of nothing else. Exactly. So that's 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 exactly right. So that's what I would go with for the White Sox bullpen. I see them taking the hot hand approach all, you know, this entire shortened season. Bummer obviously pitches do a little bit more contact. Colome gets you the more strikeouts, but Colome has the underlying, you know, FIP of four eight four oh eight, Sierra four three eight, like all signs are pointing towards um, you know, in uh, indefinite regression. Um, for Colome, where Bummer is somewhat, you know, trending up. The dude has a 72.1% ground ball rate. Um, he's never had a ground ball rate lower than 50% in his career. And this is the type of guy that I would want to have in just about any high leverage situation, even though he's not, you know, if he increases his strikeouts, then he absolutely will take over for Colome. Yeah. And, and especially with expanded rosters, if Copic or even Rodon join this group, you don't know if you could see some two, three inning saves here and there. So, yeah, it's there's no reason to you get there's some of the guys up front that'll probably still be safe like you know um like Kirby Yates I guess for this season and um who's it the guy no one wants to draft in Houston Asuna. <laughs> uh he's probably safe-ish although they have a ton of talent there. So you know what? Maybe nobody's freaking safe. Don't pay for saves ever and don't do it this year especially. I just talked I mean uh, I just talked myself out of even wanting to do that. So um <laughs> That is the Chicago White Sox. Do you have any final thoughts on the team? Anything you didn't think we'd we'd uh, we'd name? No, I mean I'm I'm really excited 
um, to see what the White Sox can do. They made a lot of really good moves, like really smart moves, and they pieced a team together that should work together very well. And we'll see how the lineup shakes up. Obviously, that's going to get switched around a ton. Um, but pretty much all the prospects that they have in their system that they, they expected to be up by now are up with the exception of Nick Madrigal. So it's it's go time for the White Sox. It's now or never. I was actually going to say the opposite. I think this is like a horribly put together team in terms of like, if you were actually trying to build a team that made sense, someone was building a fantasy team is what yeah. they did here. <laughs> no, I mean, I love it and it's going to be great, but you have like no one who can get on base. <laughs> Nick Madrigal, we're waiting for you. It's just like, Hey, what do you want to do? I top to bottom, just strike out machines that swing for the fences. <laughs> it's it's going to be pretty awesome to see them in the twins this year. Hopefully the <laughs> pitching holds up or, or not. I guess that would make it more fun. Uh, so uh, Corey, tell everyone, uh, uh, anything you're working on where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Corey five ought on Twitter. Um, going to have a couple of different articles coming out soon, but that's all I can say about that. Cause we got some special announcements coming for you guys very soon, probably late this week, next week. And so with that will come more content from me. Um, obviously just continuing on to the next stop of the 30 team series and which team will we be analyzing next week, Matt? I believe the Cincinnati Reds are coming up on Tuesday. We actually you tried to tape this one earlier on Tuesday, but technical difficulties, as always, are chasing us around. But we have it all figured out. Cincinnati Reds will be coming up. Uh, so hopefully you're enjoying the series. Uh, you know, if you are, follow us on the Turn Two Podcast at Turn Two Podcast on Twitter. We love to hear from you. Read and review the show. Uh, tell us what you enjoy, what you want to hear more from, whether or not you enjoy uh, MLB moving averages or you think he's annoying. We always love to hear the comments. So we we always get some interesting. <laughs> interesting stuff about the the screaming psychopath on tuesdays uh so i am your host matt williams you can follow me on twitter m-a-t-t-w-i-7-7-i-m-s hopefully you enjoyed the turn two podcast and we get some news about baseball coming back soon uh so enjoy your weekend and uh yeah hopefully you enjoyed the show see everybody oh my put me in coach i'm ready to play fantasy I know I turn two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two What it do? Win leaps Catch out Catch out